Thank you for the water. I always say a sailor is lost without his water. It's obvious it's the first time being here, so thanks for inviting my dear wife and I. I met some of the brothers, uh, I think a few of the ladies too, at the uh, missions conference. It was October, November, and that's how we made the connection, so I know a few of you a little bit by eating breakfast at a table. I believe it was in Ajax or somewhere around there. Uh, My other opening comments, uh, my wife only has... 5% 5% sight in one eye and maybe 15% in the other eye. So uh, to see you, you got to be within about this far from her face or she doesn't see you. You're just a blur. But uh, And if she was at some chapel where she'd been there before, she might recognize a few voices, but I guess not here. And so um, appreciate your patience there. <clears throat> now, and my voice, I'm going to give the appearance of having a cold, but I don't have a cold. In the month of December, on the Welling Canal in St. Catharines, um, talking to sailors who had gotten off ships over a period of a couple weeks, it was cold and wet and damp and windy, and then you have the ship's engine making noises, and you have the water flowing, and the winches, high-pitched noise, and just a lot of noise and confusion, and talking to sailors about their personal problems and marriage problems, I strained my voice. And it really, it almost disappeared by the end of around Christmas. It's just coming back now. So I learned my lesson. Invite the sailor in my van. Let's just talk in my van out of the elements. And it won't be so much strain. So that's what's going on there. Hopefully my voice doesn't disappear this morning. Okay, uh, we were given the uh, uh, scripture reading here. And maybe I'll read that a little later on now. Oh, yeah, opening comments. Uh, the books back there are all free, written by one of the elders at Brockview Bible Chapel, where we attend. And uh, it's a story about a true story about my dad, a captain, and myself, a fisherman, and also, you know, how I got saved, how I met my wife, and how the Lord led us to the Welling Canal Mission in St. Catharines for the past 45 years. And Brother Bob wrote the book in such a way it's a gospel tool. Every uh, chapter has a sentence at the end that's written to make you want to go to the next chapter to get the reader over to chapter 16, the gospel chapter. And in 12 years, we've seen, we've heard of 55 people saved uh, reading the book. So I was, if you have some contact with someone that's a, a senior citizen that's bored, sitting around doing nothing, or some sailor, sailing, fishing kind of background that might want to read a true story about fishermen from Nova Scotia. You can read the book in four hours, uh, challenge the person to read it, and just pray they might get saved reading chapter 16, um, the gospel uh, chapter. Also, the tracks there, your ticket to heaven. I can promote those because they are uh, produced by uh, Everyday Publications, Gospel Folio Press. That's the Bible Chapel's printing press in Ontario. And what's good about the material they produce, uh, their material gets people lost in their sins first. You know, a sailor lost at sea, when he's physically lost, you know what he thinks about? I need to be physically saved. So the tracks get people spiritually lost in their sins first, that they're a sinner, you can't forgive yourself, you can't save yourself, you need a Savior. And I challenge you to make Jesus Christ your personal Savior. 
So uh, we've seen a lot of people say, reading that track, your ticket to heaven. So they are also free to pick up and give to someone that is lost in your family or the neighborhood. Now, I was asked to give a little comment about the Wellington Mission, and that is understandable. We're new here. Uh, the Welland Canal Mission's been around for 150 years. They've had four missionaries who've all been uh, made it a calling, a lifetime calling, riding ships up and down the Welland Canal. I would say uh, this uh, canal system that helps ships from all around the world go around Niagara Falls is probably the best place in Canada to obey Mark 16:15 going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Because down there at the Welland Canal, uh, I live about a mile from the canal. You only got to, the Bible says, go eat. You only got to go one mile. And the verse reverses, and the whole world comes to you. You don't need to go all around the world. Uh, ships from um, 39 different countries with sailors speaking 60 different languages all come through the Welland Canal every year or for nine months, and I have access to all those ships. And the reason I have access to these ships, uh, uh, the Welland Canal Mission, myself, uh, we don't believe in suing. It's a very dangerous job. You've got to uh, j- jump off and on ships. Uh, the foreign ships, Canadian ships, have a, have a ramp that goes out. Now, the ship is moving up and down the locks, but I have a 10-foot ramp. But foreign ships, I've got to jump from the wall to the ship, maybe two, three, four, five-foot jump. If you miss, it's a 30 or 40 uh, drop into 30 or 40 feet of water. And is also climbing ladders, 40-foot uh, ladders if the ship is no cargo, upbound at a 35-degree angle, and it's up and down ladders, so you can't fear heights. So it's somewhat somewhat of a dangerous job. Anyway, um, I have access to all those ships. Don't believe in suing. We don't ask for money. And uh, also, we have a policy of telling sailors uh, we will offer you a free... Family marriage counseling, a perk to their job, and also offer a free ride to the post office to mail letters to their wives back all around the world, a free ride to the bank to exchange their money, or a ride to a store to buy presents for your family while you're in the canal system. From lock one to lock eight or vice versa, uh, it takes about uh, oh, around uh, 12 hours to go through. So the work is you jump aboard a ship, ride the ship up through a lock system, maybe four or five or six locks for about three hours and jump off a ship or climb off a ship in a ladder and ride another ship back down the Welling Canal uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to sailors. Now, the most often asked question about this work on the Welling Canal is uh, I speak uh, broken fisherman slang, Nova Scotia English, and just a touch of French, that's it. So how do I cope with not having any uh, training in any other languages when there's 60 different languages on these ships. Well, the Canadian government has a law that every radio officer on a ship who's there to communicate to the seaway authorities who run the Welland Canal, uh, customs, uh, people in ports where you got to unload the ship, load the ship, buy parts and food and so on, must speak English plus the uh, ship's language. So they, they're not needing the Welland Canal when you're in the lock system. And since you offer uh, you know, free help to these sailors, you find some ways to love them, to get their listening ear, getting ready to preach the gospel, they don't mind being your interpreter. And 90% of them are not born-again believers. 
but uh, they're very gracious because I don't charge any money for any service I give them. So they're going to be uh, my interpreter. So what I do, just give them a New Testament, and I'll just quote uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And little pockets of men on, on, a, on a deck in the rec room, uh, the galleyway, up on the bridge, uh, maybe in uh, their bedroom, a group of men, uh, they will, I'll give the New Testament, and they'll read the verse off in their own language. Then I'll make some comments on the verse, and they'll just reinterpret it. Or uh, Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So again, they'll read it off in their own language, and I'll make some comments. And uh, uh, it's interesting, sailors, most of them enjoy being the preacher of the day to preach at their buddies when they're not even born again. God has a sense of humor, but but the bottom line is he wants everybody to hear the gospel, and they're willing to do it. Just love them first, and they'll do it. And let's say, for example, uh, sailors from my, from Italy. I mean, they're just really uh, going with their arms. <laughs> hey, you're a sinner. Well, they know the guys. I don't know the guys. If they get drunk or look at new pictures or whatever. And, and uh, so they know more about them than I do. And God uses that. God just says in Isaiah, my word shall not return unto me void. Just get the guy to quote it in their own language, and God will start working. And so... Uh, I have no language barriers on the ships. And so uh, these guys spent about two hours with me. And um, they'll, we'll go around the ship for in these little little 15-minute sermons or 10-minute sermons, little pockets I'm in. Well, after two hours, guess what happens? They got them verses memorized. They don't even need me to read it. You know, they're just going to it and so on. And um, if anyone gets saved, it'll be the radio officer. And if he gets saved and gets disciple. Uh, I'll tell them to turn on, like, WDCX, a Christian radio station in Buffalo that goes all around the Great Lakes and gets some teaching. And there's, as you, if you know missions, there's four uh, evangelical Christian radio stations around the world that cover the world. There's one in Ecuador, I think one in Liberia, the one in the Philippines, I forget what the fourth one is. Anyway, it covers the world. Just tell these guys to tune in, and they'll get built up and discipled and taught with God's Word. And so... Uh, they become your best missionary, not Arthur Taylor. They know they're sailors. They're on there for like a whole year, some guy, especially like from the Philippines or maybe Bangladesh or whatever. They sign up for a whole year. They know the guys. They know the culture, the religion, the language. They're your best missionaries. You get the people uh, born again and disciple and on for a whole year, and they can start you know, spreading the gospel on their own to their buddies on the ship. And so uh, I just say, praise the Lord. Use little old me, a backwoods Nova Scotia fisherman, to spread the gospel. When I, when I know nothing about foreign, like this culture, religion, and languages, like nothing. And God uses word, and we see people saved every year on these ships from around the world. Uh, now, uh, the topic I was given was uh, the gospel urgency. <clears throat> well, it's kind of obvious. Uh, why the why is it urgent? To get out the gospel. Well, it's obvious. Uh, Mark 16, 15, the Lord said uh, in John 15, or John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. And one is, yeah, to preach the gospel to every creature. Why should we do that? Well, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, very clear, the Lord says, I'm not willing that anybody should perish. And why that? John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. 
And what is God's response to that truth? Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 6 2. Here's what God's word says. For he saith, I have heard thee in, the, in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And then in uh, James 4.14. Um, yeah, you know, why, why is it a day of salvation? For your life, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So the Bible answers all the questions. You just got to read the scriptures, let the Lord teach you, and you come up with biblical answers of why it's urgent to get the gospel out. And uh, so quite obvious. So that's, uh, so again, to get the gospel out, in, out in the highways and byways, wherever people are at. Now, our scripture reading this morning is Acts uh, 4.12. Here talking about uh, Peter and John. And the audience is making some comments on this. They saw the boldness of Peter and John, you know, preaching the gospel. They were obeying the Lord. And why were they bold? They had been with Jesus. What better answer is that? Uh, so the you know, Bible answers the, your questions. Um, why do these apostles have such boldness preaching the gospel? They had spent time with Jesus. Now, was that good enough or secure for the rest of their whole Christian walk? No. You read on further, and it says down in, 20, in verse 49 of Acts 4, they were being picked on and threatened <clears throat> and persecuted. And it says... They started praying again. Uh, they were praying that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Did God answer their, their prayers? Here's the answer in verse 31. And when they had prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. That was, a, that was what happened. And here was the results. This is the uh, kind of like title of my sermon um, about uh, why there was great joy amongst the believers. It said, and the multitudes of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. So a lot of people got saved. That's exciting. There was oneness love amongst the, the believers. Another, another result was, and with great power, you know, great Holy Spirit power, uh, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was among them all. In other words, they, they were blessing people who didn't deserve it. That was a fallout of God answering their prayer, them being filled, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And they were, had the boldness to talk about the resurrection. Now, why was that important? The answer is in Acts 2. Back then, when people preached the gospel, they include the resurrection in the sermon. Don't hear that too much nowadays, but you know the reason why they did that back then? Uh, people knew nothing much about, about Christ and Christianity, and they were saying, you know, I, uh, to these people, do you have any kind of fears with your religion? Well, you know, on the ships around the world, I can ask the same question to these sailors. Uh, are you religious? If they say yes, do you have any fears? And, I, and they'll, what kind? I say, well, fear of the penalty of your personal sin or fear of death, fear of the grave. Uh, maybe if you're religious, uh, fear of, of, uh, of evil spirits. Uh, we'd say Satan, they'd have a, maybe a different idea. Uh, fear of hell, or their concept of hell, or life after death without out their belief in their God. 
Do you have any religious fears? Most religious people around the world they have at least one. Some two, some three, some four, and so on. And I said, so does your religion help you get rid of your fear? I said, now be honest. You're away from your religious leaders right now. No one's going to pick on you. No one will kick you out of your religion. Tell me, does your religion cast out your fears? Most of them say, no, it doesn't. And I said, well, isn't that, you know, a shame? And so uh, teaching the resurrection, uh, when Christ rose from the dead, he conquered sin, death, the grave, Satan, and hell. I said, if you step out in faith and agree with God that you're a sinner and can't forgive yourself, and you pray by faith and thank the Lord Jesus for, for paying the penalty for all your personal sins, hundreds and hundreds of them, and buried him in the deepest sea off the Philippines, and it says, and he remembers them no more. Isn't that interesting how in Revelation it talks about rivers in heaven? doesn't talk about sea. You know why? Because your sins are buried in the deepest sea. That's why there's no sea in heaven. There's just rivers in heaven. And so, and remember it's no more. So pray and thank the Lord for paying the penalty for your personal sins. And then pray and step out on faith and claim and believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you pray in Jesus' name. And the Bible says you're born again. You're a Christian. The Spirit of God comes inside of you. And, and, uh, and, and then what happens is when the Spirit of God comes inside of you, then he takes your, his word, if you read it or listen to it and meditate upon it, takes his, his word verse by verse, day by day, and takes the word from your mind into your heart and grafts the word into your heart. So you get to say, Jesus said it, that settles it, I believe it, take it by faith. And guess what happens? Little by little, all those five fears go away as a Christian. Your fear of the penalty of your sin, the fear of death, the grave, Satan and hell. Little by little, you're set free from those five fears because you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that was included in their sermons back then in, in, in Acts 2. That's what made their, their sermons so exciting and incredible. Now, they, they called uh, the gospel back then, in, in the, the word Greek means good news. I think in Canada here... Uh, the English word good news, we kind of watered it down. You know, well, it's, it's a, it's a good-looking car. And that's a good piece of pie. I like a good cup of coffee at Tim Hortons. But the idea of the, of the good news gospel was it was incredible news, fantastic news, wonderful news, tremendous news. That was the idea behind it. And we've kind of lost that to some degree in the English language here in Canada. And so, so the resurrection just laid the foundation for that kind of uh, teaching. And now we're going to move over to uh, uh, Acts, uh, with a certain, fitting in with a sermon title here, about there was uh, great joy amongst the believers. Uh, Acts 15, we got Paul and Barnabas, and they traveled around preaching the gospel. It says, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy amongst all the brethren, all the believers. In other words, God just wasn't saving the Jews now he was saving the Gentiles. Anybody else that wasn't Jew, God was saving him. They were hearing the gospel for the first time and becoming true, born-again believers. And when the folks left their meetings, they were filled with, with Holy Spirit joy and uh, left the meeting. And my prayer is today that when you leave here, you leave here full of joy, hearing how God is saving people 
all around the world for his glory. Uh, Luke 20, uh, 21, 25, 26. Jesus said, uh, before I come back, the sea and waves roaring and man's heart shall fail because of fear. Uh, so he said, that's going to be a, an increase. Now we hear, uh, you know, in the paper, uh, TV, uh, radios last fall, all these hurricanes around the West Indies, very destructive. Uh, I've heard about typhoons and cyclones around the Philippines, New Guinea and so on, Japan. Uh, November gales up in Lake Superior here and in Canada here. Uh, tsunamis wherever, you know, down Asia area and so on, around the Indian Ocean, a lot of tsunamis. So it, you know, I've heard people say, well, uh, I, I haven't seen an increase of all those uh, around the world. And Jesus said also, before he comes back, going to be an increase in earthquakes. I've heard people say, well, I don't think there's an increase in earthquakes. Here's what the f people of the world don't know, but sailors know. Pacific Ocean, for example, every year, a number of times, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you have the crust of the earth cracking, the Pacific Ocean. Uh, uh, the, the crust of the earth cracks, big crack, and so one part falls down. Now, the, the Pacific Ocean is deep. I'm not sure uh, uh, where the Lord buries our sins out of the Philippines. I think it's seven miles deep. You can correct me on that. Someone can Google that. I'm computer illiterate, so I don't know anything about Googling. And anyway, uh, the Pacific Ocean is deep. And so the earth cracks uh, out there, and, and when it cracks, a part will fall down. The water falls in. The, the vacuum, and keeps coming up, coming up to get to the top of the ocean. And when it comes to the top of the ocean, it creates a mini tsunami. Sailors are out there in the Pacific Ocean going, let's say, from uh, Los Angeles to, let's say, to Japan, with, uh, or let's say China, with all your, your Walmart, your dollar store, you know, junk stuff, cheap stuff, back and forth, you know, trade. And uh, so there's these mini tsunamis. It can be summertime, uh, Smooth water, uh, dark out. There's no street lights out in the Pacific Ocean. And warm out. And men are laying on their ships, and all of a sudden, kaboom! A tsunami hits the side of the ship, washes guys overboard, puts cracks in ships, and puts fear into sailors. And, um, and you know why the fear? Because they're, um, well, I'll make that comment later on. Anyway, uh, puts fear into these people, and uh, a little bit metal fatigue sets in. On, in the, on the ship's metal. And uh, this happens all the time. Uh, every, every, uh, every summer, uh, warm weather, uh, the ships are being hit and twisted and so on, and metal fatigue setting in, and the metal's groaning. And uh, you know why it's not in the paper? Because there are many tsunamis. They don't hit Cal California shore. They don't hit the Japanese shore. So no one hears about them. They're not in your paper. They're happening all the time. Many tsunamis from many earthquakes in the Pacific Ocean. And sailors know about it. And it puts fear into them because every time they get hit by a tsunami, the, the ship's twisting, the metal fadig sets in, and, and the ship's getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And when is she going to crack and start taking on water? And all of a sudden, she's going to sink, and we're going to lose our lives. Fear is on the increase with sailors around the world. And a lot of people just don't know about that. Now, when they... Uh, uh, and these November gales up in the Lake, Lake Superior in Canada here. Every November, we have a lot of November gales. And you'll know about it uh, 
Two days after a November gale in Lake Superior, you'll have in Toronto here, especially St. Catharines, Buffalo, there'll be like a, a wet, windy, dreary, kind of a, a dull day in November. And a lot of people don't like it because it messes up their hair and it blows leaves on your property and whatever. But it's the fallout of a November gale up in Lake Superior two days later. That's what's going on. And it hardly ever gets in the paper. But sailors, they dread it every, every November. It's going on. So when they get in the Welling Canal uh, and they're in a lock and the guys that aren't working, they're in a, a rec room sitting around talking, drinking some coffee or whatever, just talking about the storm that just came through and, uh, and how it's, uh, it's calm now. And here's the fear they have. Uh, when you're in a storm up in Lake Superior, uh, and you're in your bedroom, uh, you haven't got insulation of gyp rock or wallboard on your wall. You have just a steel wall. Ships have a double hull. Maybe the two walls are maybe uh, six inches apart with X-frame in it. So when the ship's up in this uh, lake, uh, big storm in Lake Superior, and the ship's going up and down and also twisting, um, it's making the, the metal groan and crack. So you're laying on your pillow right up against the wall. You're hearing the metal groan and crack. You're trying to sleep. You're not going to sleep. No way. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but when I was a kid, uh, used to have those uh, Australian uh, corned beef uh, cans that uh, you can buy in the store are still around here. And take out a, a, a little key they have on there, put a little, little bit of a lever, and you turn it around the lid, and a little bit of metal comes off, and the lid's going to kind of half prize off. Ever notice how the lid, there's always about a half inch of metal left on that lid of a can of corned beef you can buy in any kind of a store around here. you got to take the lid and then go back and forth to kind of break it off. Metal fatigue sets in. That's the concept. That's what they're thinking, see, metal fatigue. When's she going to start cracking? So now this is the fear. Now they're in the Welling Canal and they're at, they're finally at peace, and uh, it's relaxing. But uh, they start telling uh, maybe some some old stories, and I don't know how many can relate to this story. Uh, uh, 1974, 43 years ago, the Edmund Fitzgerald sunk up in Lake Superior. Was quite a famous American ship, about 800 feet long, no, 780 feet long, carrying about 28,000 tons of iron ore pellets. Gordon Lightfoot, a famous singer, uh, sang a song about her in the, in the 70s. It was sung all over North America for about 10 years. And uh, that made the ship quite famous, Eb and Fitzgerald. They also, every November, the very date the ship sunk and all the men uh, died, all the, uh, a lot of the churches from Detroit right up through uh, Lake Huron, Lake Michigan, all ring the, the, the church bells uh, 29 times in memory of these 29 sailors who gave their lives. And so it's, it's kind of a well-known uh, uh, historical event for those who are over, uh, over 55 years old, 60 years old. So they start, they start telling about uh, their fear story on the Lake Superior, and then they start telling about the Edmund Fitzgerald. And uh, so this is a, a model of a, a 30-foot lobster boat in Nova Scotia where I fished on when I was a kid in Nova Scotia, but it's going to be my prop here for the Edmund Fitzgerald story. Um, the, um, so they, uh, they were in a storm, had the ship uh, anchored off with big anchors on the stern and the bow, but in those days, 1974, there was no sensors to say the uh, anchors were dragging. The ship was drawing up uh, 26 feet of water. There was a shoal about uh, to the eastern and they were, they, the wind was going to the eastern, uh, about, um, oh, maybe a half mile away. 
but they didn't know the ship was dragging its anchors, but they thought the shoal is 46 feet underwater. Uh, the waves were 10 feet high. Do the math. You're, 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 you're carrying 28,000 tons of iron pellets, and your ship is, is 26 feet underwater. You go up on a wave 10 feet. That's 36 feet. The trough is, is 10 feet. You go down 10 feet. Now you got 46 feet. But guess what happens? If you're loaded, the weight takes you down below that 10 feet. So you're going more than 46 feet underwater when she goes down with the weight. And so what happened, the, the ship dragged its anchors, got to that shoal, went up on a, on a big wave, went down, and hit the shoal, boom, and broke her back. No sensors in those days. They didn't know the ship broke from, from the bottom up. And now you're in the... Uh, the bridge, you're the captain, you're the wheelsman, you're the, you're the mate. And a big wave comes on, puts water over the, the, the windshield. And then the, when, the ship, when you're underwater, when the ship comes back up, the water comes off and so on. Now it's pitch black, bark, pitch black dark out there. And, uh, but uh, now water's coming in the hull. And all of a sudden, she loses her buoyancy, uh, goes up on another wave, back down another, on a, in the trough, and the ship breaks in two. And you become two submarines where you just you broke right in two and uh, the ship goes under the water uh, the portholes and the bedrooms have water on but the ship come back up there'd be no water it's just like the windshield all of a sudden now the water stays on the windshield of the bridge of the ship the water stays on the portholes there's water you can see out the, out, out the window it stays there and the reason you now have become two submarines you're, you're, you're going down under, and uh, it's like uh, you're in two caskets going to the bottom of, the, of Lake Superior. That's why there was no May Day. That's why there was no SOS. That's why they didn't put any survival suits on. That's why there was no uh, lifeboats launched. They didn't know they had become two submarines when the ship broke in two. They were going down, and in the bottom of the, in the ship, they were in their casket. And it came out in the paper that all 29 men drowned. That is not true. They just they say that so the wives don't know what went on. What went on in most cases on these ships, uh, if you're in the bedroom, for example, and you're being beat around in the ship, being tossed to and fro, you close those steel doors. <clears throat> they're one inch thick with a big hard rubber on them, and they got these big cranks. You can crank them down and make them watertight, which also makes them airtight. They didn't drown. They suffocated. You're in your casket in the bottom of Lake Superior for maybe two hours before you run out of air. Can you imagine the fear you're in when you got two hours to live with your air and then you're done? That's what happens. So these guys are talking about uh, uh, in, in the canal, in, in their rec room, after their ship just went through a storm in Lake Superior. They're telling me their fear story. And now we start talking about the uh, Edmund Fitzgerald ship sunk. And I said, uh, can you imagine what fear those guys went through? Then I'll say to the, this four or five or six guys sitting in the rec room there in the, in the Welland Canal, nice smooth water in the canal. I said, do you know any answer to fear? Most people don't. And they kind of know. Would you like to know an answer? I only have to get one guy to say yes in the rec room of a ship where they're all sitting. God has an answer, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear is torment. He that fears is, made, is not made perfect in love. I said, well, God is saying there in summary, godly love casts out fear. And I'll say to these men, 
Do you know how that works? They don't. Well, uh, the answer is, is found in Acts 2, 21. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I say anyone that uh, uh, steps out of faith and prays and claims Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and prays that prayer by faith in, in Jesus' name, the Bible says uh, uh, the Spirit of God comes inside of you, and Jesus knows who did that uh, sincerely, that was sorry for their sins, that thanked him for paying the penalty for their personal sins, and that trusted Christ as a personal Savior. He knows, the intent of your heart, he knows if he did it sincerely, and if you did, he says, now you're my child, you're born again, and he says in John 10, 27, 28, I give you eternal life, you're not going to perish, and nobody, yes, nobody's going to pluck you out of my hand. You're my child forever, you're eternally secure, you're on the way to heaven. And like I just said a few minutes ago, and little by little, uh, their fear goes away. Jesus said it, that settles it, I believe it, take it by faith, and he takes his word in John 10, 27, 28, and takes away that fear of death. It's gone. And that's why the gospel is incredible news. Well, I told this story, and guess what? A guy named Harold got saved. Next story. The Halifax hurricane. Now, this, now I've gone from the, the uh, uh, Edmund Fitzgerald 43 years ago. Now we're going to move along to the Halifax hurricane that happened, I'm going to say, maybe seven years ago. Hurricanes tend to follow from the West Indies, the uh, up the Atlantic seaboard, following the Gulf Stream that comes up towards Nova Scotia, heads out toward then Newfoundland, and then uh, uh, Iceland, and then Greenland, and so on. This hurricane was coming along the Atlantic seaboard, and we had some ships, some freighters, from the Welland Canal, going around Cape Britain, down along past Halifax, going to go to Boston, New York, inside the hurricane. What they hadn't counted on, the hurricane all of a sudden took a turn. And if you remember the, the article in the paper, came, or the scene on TV, it came right into Halifax Harbor, this big hurricane. We have a sister, I have a sister that lives in the, uh, uh, just thought, Bedford Narrows, I think it's called. It. It's, it's a little uh, inlet port uh, from, from the back of the uh, Halifax Harbor. This hurricane came right up uh, the Halifax Harbor, hit Halifax, and my, my sister said it destroyed so many trees on her property. She, for the first time looking out her, her, her bedroom window, she now could see the Halifax Harbor. And in fact, it kind of put her property up in value because now you can see the harbor. Now, a lot of people, though, in the valley... All the trees knocked over onto the property and made their property a lot less valuable. But anyway, they, they had the, 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 fall, the fallout of this uh, hurricane hitting Halifax. Well, anyway, there was a, a ships out there uh, uh, near Sable Island. That's an island about 100 miles off the coast of Halifax. It's known for its, its uh, treacherous sandbars. They're underwater about maybe 20, 20 feet deep. And uh, ships drawing, uh, again, 26 feet of water loaded, these big freighters that are over 700 feet long, in a storm, ran on these uh, sandbars, because they move all the time with all these storms and the tides and the currents and the wind and the waves. You never know where they are. And run aground on a, on a sandbar when you're drawing 26 feet of water and it's 20 feet underwater. Then guess what happens? The tide goes lower six feet. So when the tide goes, the storm may, you know, go down a little bit, the winds, but then your ship leans sideways. And when it leans sideways and then turns uh, parallel to the, uh, the waves, when your ship's half rolling over, then the waves just beat on you, just, just pound you, like someone's knocked on the ground, people are just pounding on them. 
And, and uh, oh, the shit really gets beat up then. Boy, talk about fear sets in when you when you're, you're, you you the, the engine doesn't work, the rudder doesn't work, there's no power, you're a victim. You're on the on a sandbar stuck there, and these waves are just pounding you. And, and nowhere to go. You can't lower lifeboats. You can't uh, have, uh, you know, a helicopter lower any kind of a safety uh, lying down because uh, these big waves are crashing on the deck and so on. And uh, no way you can get it going on the deck. You'd be washed overboard. You're just stuck there. And so uh, uh, fear sets in. So, again... Uh, they, they, some of these ships, they survived it. Now they're up in the Welling Canal again. They're in a lock. The guys aren't working. It's peaceful. The water's flat in the canal. And, and, uh, yeah, there's peace and calmness. But you can tell these guys have been through fear. They're quieter. They're more broken, more teachable. Better listening here because they almost died. You know, fear at sea and so on. And so, uh... We get talking about fear, and then now I'm going to, uh, this is when you apply red in history, uh, about the Titanic, even though it happened, what, over 100 years ago now off Newfoundland. And uh, so the guys tell their fear story, and I just listen. And while I'm mingling with the people, like the Lord, he would mingle with people, ask questions, just listen, look for an opportunity to say something. And I said, uh, how many here, I said, have watched uh, any of the four Titanic movies? The first one was docu- documentary in 1958. And uh, there's always someone who's watched one. Someone's, oh, I've watched all four. Yeah, I said, well, I said, let me tell you something that's not in those movies. That's true. I said, when the Titanic was, was uh, uh, ha- half sunk with just the stern, maybe half the ship, you know, this is the water level here, and, and just the stern and, and some of the, the, uh, the uh, deck and, and the uh, accommodation and up in the wheelhouse was sticking out of the water, um, there was uh, the Salvation Army band was down on the stern here, and the, uh, they had chair, wooden chairs. They were anchored to the deck. That's so the wind couldn't blow them you know, overboard, or they, they wouldn't slide around, the waves wouldn't wash them away, and so on. So if you were sitting in that chair, you were somewhat secure. So the band was sitting uh, in their chairs. They had lowered all the lifeboats. Uh, they were so sure she couldn't sink her, so they didn't have enough lifeboats, didn't have enough uh, life jackets. They said, well, you can't sink her. That's, they were just you know, proud guys that, were, that built, the ship, built the ship. Yeah, that's another story. But anyway, uh, so now uh, all it could get off were off was about maybe a half of them. And now you know what you had here it was uh, all, the crew and some of the passengers. Now they're fighting over, as the ship's half submerged, over wooden chairs and and banisters and tables for some buoyancy because there wasn't enough life jackets and so they're all fighting so these uh, the salvation army here the band is all and watching all this mayhem in front of them people fighting over wooden objects on a ship so when the whole when the ship sinks they get something to float help them float they're watching all this fear and this fighting going on and it was very unusual that night when the titanic sunk in what 1914 i think it was uh there was smooth weather in the ocean. This is April. Amazing. The, the ocean was smooth. And off, uh, like, near between Greenland and Newfoundland there. And uh, if you remember, uh, you know, in the gospel stories, Jesus would get into a boat and move it under the water, smooth water, and preach to the uh, people in, on the shore on the side of a hill. Perfect acoustics. If there's no wind and the water's smooth, your voice hits the water, bounce off. Perfect acoustics. Well, that night... 
There was no waves on the ocean. Uh, perfect acoustics. Uh, no wind and no waves. And people in the lifeboats testified that the Salvation Army band, they were maybe a quarter mile away from the ship, but it rode away after they gotten off, and they could hear the Salvation Army singing their, their hymns, the band was, and they're, they're singing these hymns like, Near my God to Thee. They knew, even knew what they were singing a quarter mile away. The acoustics were so good. And all this fighting over wood, right in front of them, all this mayhem, fear, and they said the Salvation Army band never missed a note, stayed in tune. And my question was to these sailors, how do you suppose they could do that? Sing these songs with perfect peace and, and not miss a tune, not miss a note. And, and the people, sailors on, on the, in these boats, lifeboats, could recognize the, uh, the song perfectly with perfect acoustics. And, and amidst all this fear, how could they do that? Well, they don't know, these lost people. I said, you want to know the answer? And the same thing, I said, Godly love casts out fear. The Salvationary Band were born-again believers, and they were trusting God for eternal life, and the Holy Spirit just gave them peace. If you look in the Gospels, one of the main things Jesus said, I've come to give you peace. It was in his sermon a lot of times. And, and, and peace was having the Spirit of God inside of you, being a, a true born-again believer, and trusting Jesus as his word, he's going to give you eternal life. And uh, so I, I, I told this story, explained the gospel, and guess what? A guy named Matt got saved. Let's pray. Uh, dear Father, we thank thee once again that uh, you and your son Jesus agreed that uh, he would come to this earth and reveal to us what you were like, Emmanuel of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness and on and on and on and agreed that he would die for the sins of the world and provide this great salvation and then raise, rise again from the, from the dead and all the victories, the five victories eliminating fear that people have and giving people assurance of salvation and many, many, many more blessings. So I would just pray that the folk here, uh, any here that's one that's not saved, right where they're sitting, just step out of faith and pray and thank the Lord Jesus for paying the penalty for the personal sins. And then step out of faith and pray and commit, believe, trust in Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. And pray that prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he promises to save him. And for the saints here, may they pick up uh, some food for thought about uh, mingling with people. And just how you're working behind the scenes using fear and, and, and other means to get people's attention, which can sound very cruel at sea, but through it all, people uh, become born-again believers because you're not willing that anybody should perish. And you love everybody. You want them saved. So speak to hearts, Lord. Encourage us in our walk with you out here in the highways and byways of the Mississauga area that we might impact people in the coming day. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's 1 o'clock, and I didn't pick up.